Hey, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. Uh, Psalm 27 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Psalm 27. If you didn't bring a Bible, it's okay. There's one underneath the seat you're sitting in. Uh, go ahead and pull that out. Psalm 27 uh, is where we are uh, going to be this morning. We began this kind of short, tiny little series uh, last Sunday uh, on beholding Jesus. Uh, here at Flourishing Grace, we have this thing called the Path of Flourishing. And I said last week, we'll talk more about it later this year. We are, we're going to kind of relaunch it later this year after Easter. Um, but for right now, the, the thing that you need to know is this. All, all, none of it works. It's all, it's all a bunch of garbage if you don't start at beholding Jesus. The first part of the path, kind of the first stepping stone, the first bucket is, is beholding Jesus. We must be a people who behold Jesus if we're ever going to experience the life that he has on offer. And so that's what we've been talking about, um, saying, hey, th- there are... Um, just some things. I know we're making a ton of New Year's resolutions. There's a lot of things going on in our, in our lives right now. We're going to get into the gym. We're going to get in a diet. We're going to get fit. We're going to get organized. You just went out and you bought, like, you bought out the Tupperware. There's no more Tupperware left in the store because you are, you're going to become like Mr. or Miss Organized this year. You got the new journal. You got the new planner. Like you've got it all figured out. It's going to be amazing. But there might be a few things I would suggest that will increase your joy and your satisfaction, your delight, and your rest more than any of those things. There might be something that will actually produce everlasting flourishing in your life. And I begin believe it all begins with beholding Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at more this morning. How do we do that? And we're going to look at a text from Psalm uh, 27. Here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this is the word of God. For those of you who were here last week, we talked all about it. Um, and it's been a gift that's been given to us in order to increase our intimacy with God. And so if you're able, in honor and reverence to it, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? I'm going to read from Psalm 27, verse 4. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and then to inquire in his temple. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Beholding Jesus. We said this last week, that Jesus is the source of all true human flourishing. Right? There are a number of things in your life that will give you a glimpse of flourishing, or, or perhaps promise you flourishing but never deliver. There there are good, genuine things that are the grace of God that give you a taste of flourishing in order to kind of produce in you a greater hunger for Him, right? Maybe it's falling in love and getting engaged and getting married or having a baby or landing that dream job or whatever it may be is a taste of true flourishing. It's only a taste. It It only lasts for a moment and then it's gone, But in that moment, we are driven to this place where we realize the world around us, the world that we live in, is not the way it's supposed to be. There's got to be something more. We're given a taste so that there might be a longing within us for genuine flourishing. And last week, I made the case, for for the bulk of our time, I laid out the case, that the, the source of all true human flourishing is God alone. It's Jesus. Jesus is the source of all true human flourishing. And if we are going to experience him, we must behold him. John, in his gospel, again and again and again, pointed this out, that Jesus came to give us life. He begins his gospel in John chapter 1, verse 4. It says this, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. In Jesus is the source 
of life. And he's not talking about biological life, like blood in your veins, uh, breath in your lungs, life. Yet, yes, he is the source of that. It, all things were created through him, right? And all things were created for him. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about, he's about, talking about life, joy, flourishing, this, this rest, this vibrancy, this thing that it, we so long for. If only I could tap into that. If only I could find it or would it actually last for the rest of my days. John says, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, he says, The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come. Why did he come? Why did Jesus come? To give life and give it abundantly. That you might have abundance of life, abundance of joy, abundance of pleasure, abundance of delight, right? At his right hand, his pleasures forevermore. That we might tap into that, that we might have that, yes, for all eternity, yes, in heaven one day. But right now, Jesus has life on offer for you. His life on offer for you. Now, I, I don't have time to go back and unpack everything from last week. For those of you who weren't here, you can find that on our website, flourishinggrace.org, slash listen. You can find all of our sermons there. Uh, if you weren't here last week and you're like, I don't know if that's true, Go back and listen to last week's. I, we, you're going to have to give me a, the, the benefit of the doubt. For the sake of argument, you're going to have to believe me uh, that Jesus is the source of all true human flourishing. If we're going to experience it, we must tap into him. Not the things of this world that promise it. Not the things of this world that are meant to point us to him, that give us a taste of it. But he alone is the ultimate source of all true human flourishing. So therefore, we must begin to behold him. All day, every day. This is our job. Uh, Brother Lawrence was a monk, a French monk in the 1600s. Uh, he lived in a monastery in France. He was not some great, uh, well-known uh, person during his life. He was a dishwasher. That's what he did. Uh, in fact, when he, when he tried to become a monk, they wouldn't let him do it, but they were like, you can wash the dishes. That would be, that'd be okay. You can, you can do that. Right? He was not a priest. He didn't have any any, any job titles that were to be, um, you know, envious of, he, he washed the dishes and cooked things in the kitchen, right? That's what he did. But during his life, the men of power, these great Catholic priests and bishops who were kind of ruling France, they, they began to notice, hey, there's something going on in this monastery. There's something happening here that is just amazing. And they began to write letters to this guy, Brother Lawrence. And they would write him letters and say, tell me more about this. How, how are you experiencing the presence of God? And Brother Lawrence would say things like, man, I experience nearness to God as much when I'm washing dishes and being yelled at in the kitchen for like this thing or that thing, as much as when I am on my knees before the Holy Sacrament. And for Catholics, that's a, that's a, that's a big statement. That's a massive statement. Brother Lawrence said this in one of his letters. He said, do not forget him. Meditate on him often. Adore him continually. Live and die with him. This is the glorious vocation of a Christian. I know not everybody in the room is a follower of Jesus. Not everybody watching online is a follower of Jesus. But if you are, that's your job. To behold Jesus all day, every day. To dwell with him, to be with him, to meditate on him often, to live with him, to die with him. That is your job. That is your vocation. It is glorious. 
And it is the source of all true human flourishing. All of these, not all of these, but a bunch of the letters that were written by Brother Lawrence and these, uh, these, these, uh, these letters that were written back and forth were compiled into a book called, the, called Practicing the Presence. Now, it's 16th century, um, so it's, it takes a little bit of work to read, but it's a small book. And there's some copies out on the table out there. You can just grab one. Those are, those are, those are our gifts to you. It's, it's free. Uh, I think it's, an, it's a great work. It's an amazing work as we, as we begin asking the question, how do I behold Jesus more and more and more and more? I want to be like Brother Lawrence. I want to say Jesus is near to me when I'm washing dishes as when I'm here on Sunday morning. I, I want to be in the presence all of the time. You can grab one of those on your way out. So last week we said that we practice the presence or we, we behold Jesus in multiple ways, there are multiple disciplines that people have been doing for 2,000 years, all right, that help us behold Jesus. And last week we said we behold Jesus through his what? Through his word. Somebody was here last week. Through, we behold Jesus through his word, right? We, as we read the word and as we study the word every day, every person, every day in the word of God, right, we behold Jesus, we have been given the word of God as this unbelievable gift, not for the sake of information. Yes, we gain information about Jesus as we read it, and it's glorious. But we have been given the word for the sake of intimacy. God wants to join with us in the reading of his word, to be near to us and be with us. And I want to make the case this morning that the same is true in prayer. That the discipline of prayer is to the same end. That we've been given prayer, not just so that we can lay all of our requests before God. Yes, we do that. But we've been given the gift of prayer so that we might grow in our intimacy and our affection of God. That we might behold him. And that we might flourish in our beholding. This is why we pray. Now for most of us, in fact for all of us I would say, I know it's a broad brush, but for all of us who pray... Most of the time when you pray, you're not beholding God. You're not beholding Jesus. When you pray, you're beholding yourself. This is just, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I'm, saying, I'm doing the same thing. Most of the time when we pray, we're saying, Jesus, I need you to help me with this thing. This, this, this thing is blowing up in my job, and I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. This thing is blowing up in this relationship. I need, I need restoration. I, I, just, I just lost this account, or I just lost my job, or this thing just fell through. I need you, I need you to provide for me. I need security. Right, we're beholding ourselves. And, and I, I'm not picking on you. Genuinely, I'm, I'm not. That's an okay thing to pray. I'm just saying most of the time when we pray, that's what we're beholding. Or we're beholding somebody else. Jesus, my friend is struggling. Would you help them? Je- Jesus, my, my, my friend is, have a, has a health problem. Or my family member has a health problem. Would you, would you heal them? We're either beholding ourselves or we're beholding somebody else. It's very, very rare that we're actually praying just for the sake of beholding Jesus. We're beholding ourselves or we're beholding someone else. Now this is, again, I, I want to make sure that nobody misunderstands me. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. In fact, again and again and again throughout Scripture, we see this as a good thing. Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, he says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. When you are anxious, when there's something going on in your life, when, when your heart is, is beating and you're like, Yeah, this is, this is not right. Don't be anxious, but let your request be known to God. Paul says it's okay. When, when, you, when, you, when you are beholding yourself, when you're beholding a, a, someone else, and it's creating this, 
this unrest in you, it's okay. Let your request be known to God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, right, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's teaching his disciples famously the Lord's Prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Today I need you to provide for me. For, for me this day, I need, you to, I need you to be near me. I need you to help me. I need you to, to give me peace. I need you to help me uh, walk before you. I need you to help me be a better dad. I need you to help me be a better husband. I need you to provide for me today. Give me today what I need for today. Give me the strength for today. But holding myself, it's okay. It's right. It's good. God delights in helping us accomplish his will and providing for us. He delights in that. Those are good things. But, friends, but... While you may ask God for healing or wisdom in making a hard decision or restoration in a damaged relationship or security in a time of of discomfort or anxiety, provision in finding a new job, not one of those things is a bad thing. Yet, not one of those things will produce true meaningful flourishing in your life. They, in and of themselves, are not the source of real flourishing. If God were to answer every single one of your prayers of beholding yourself or others, while it would be amazing, there would still be something missing. You'd still... Be weary, and there would still be longing, and there would still be a sense that something is not right. Because none of those things are the actual source of your longings. None of those things are the source of true human flourishing. If Jesus is the source of rest for the weary, delight for the low down, strength for the weak, our near and present help in a time of trouble, then he is the thing that we need more than all other things. And this morning, I want to make the case that the psalmist knows this. The psalmist understands that Jesus is the thing that we need more than we need anything else. And this is what he writes in the psalm. And this is what he writes in Psalm 27, verse 4. He says, one thing I've asked, one thing. If I, if I get one ask, one thing that I can ask of the God of all things, and one thing I seek, one thing I'm going to give my life to seeking and finding and producing, one thing I'm going to try to achieve that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What I want more than I want anything else is presence. That's what I want. I want to be near Jesus. I want to know him. I want to behold the Lord. The psalmist knows that this is where true flourishing is found. He really asks for three things. He says, "I, I, I want to be with Jesus, I want to be with him, right? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all my days. That's what I want. I want to be with Jesus. I want to behold him, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And then I want to know him, to inquire in his temple, to be near Jesus, to behold Jesus, to know Jesus. That is the one thing I ask. More than anything else, that's what I want. Now, some of you say, listen, if I had one ask, if I, if I met God, he's like, he got like a genie in a bottle. I was like, I grant you one wish. You're like, that's not it. Like, my life, you know what's going on in our world right now, Josh? Like, do you know how jacked up things are? Do you know what our nation actually needs? Do you know what I actually, like, my life this past year has been so, you know what I actually need? 
This is why I love this psalm. Can I show you something about this psalm that's crazy? It's, it's, it's crazy. If you look at everything that comes before this and everything that comes after this in this psalm, it's nuts. Look at the, ver- the two verses before. This is verse 2 and 3 of Psalm 27. The psalmist writes this. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh. It's freaky, I know. You, you were like, I'm coming to church this morning. It's going to be great. Well, cannibalism. It's going to be awesome. My adversaries and foes. It is they who stumble and fall. Though, my, though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arises against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Friends, I, I know that for some of you, you are in an incredibly difficult season of life. There have been some things in your, in your life that have blown up. It's been nuts. It's been crazy. L- last year was an absolute dumpster fire. Okay? Just awful. A- anybody try to eat your flesh last year? I, I hope not. Maybe, maybe. It was 2020. Maybe. Any, any armies in camp around your house last year? They're like waiting for you to come out so they can get you? That didn't happen to anybody here? No? Anybody declare war on you? Any nation declare war on you last year? Just on you personally? Like, I declare war on Josh. No. I know it's bad, but it's not that bad. See, the psalmist has it way worse than you. In this unbelievably dark hour, he does not pray, Father, deliver me from the hand of my enemy. He doesn't pray that. He does not pray, one thing I ask, destroy them. One thing I ask, freedom. One thing I ask, wealth. One thing I ask, protection. One thing I ask, deliver. Is that what he prays? One thing I ask, more of you. That's what I want. I want to truly flourish in the face of my enemies in the darkest hour i want peace and i know that only comes through christ nearness to you that's what i want in my darkest hour when everything else fails me what i want is to be right next to you because i know that is the source of all true human flourishing the psalmist knows that presence presence of god and the truth is that every single person on the planet is seeking the same thing Constantly, always, we are longing for the presence of God. We are longing for this, for this thing in our soul to be satisfied. Just, I just need rest. I'm, I'm weary and I'm tired. I just move from one longing to the next longing to the next longing to the next longing. And they never satisfy. It's just constantly chasing this, in this shadow that it never actually fulfills. It fulfills for a moment and then it's gone. And it's on to the next one. Never actually resting, never actually filled with joy, never actually filled with delight. As Pascal said, wandering about in times that do not belong to us. Always seeking the future or looking back at the past, never finding flourishing in the present, never. I'm going to make the case this morning that 
those men and women who rushed our capital this week, dressed in buffalo horns and war paint. <laughs> We're not seeking to overthrow an election. They were seeking the presence of God. They don't know that. But that's what they wanted. They wanted to be satisfied. There's a famous quote, and people used to say it was G.K. Chesterton, and then we realized that's not who said it at all. If we don't know who said it, somebody just made it up. But the quote says, the, the man who knocks on the door of a brothel is ultimately knocking for God. That's what he wants. To be satisfied. To find the source of all true human flourishing. Those who crave freedom ultimately, ultimately are longing for the freedom that's only found in Christ. Those, are, those who, are, who are crying out for acceptance are ultimately seeking the acceptance that's only found in Christ. Those who are, who are just longing for worth are ultimately, accepting, are ultimately seeking the worth that is only found in Christ. Those who are looking for freedom from anxiety, I just don't want to be stressed out anymore, are ultimately looking for the rest and the peace that's only found in the Prince of Peace. All of the things that we are truly chasing after. The end of them, the end of them is found in Christ alone. I love how John Piper, a pastor from Minneapolis, Minnesota, puts it. He says it this way. He says, in the end, the heart longs not for any of God's good gifts. This is what we were saying earlier. You can pray for stuff all day long, and it's, that's okay. I'm not telling you not to. But in the end, that's not what your heart's longing for. In the end, the heart longs not for any of God's good gifts, but for God himself. To see him, to know him, and to be in his presence is the soul's final feast. Beyond this, there is no quest. Words fail. We call it pleasure, joy, delight. But these are weak pointers to the unspeakable experience. What it actually is is undefinable. We can't put words around it. We, we call it these things, but it's so much more than that. The presence of God one thing I ask, to be with you, to behold you, and to know you. Do you guys realize, we, we, we preach a sermon on the presence of God. We preach a series on the presence of God um, a while back. It feels like years ago, but it was last spring. Um, we preached a, pres- a series on the presence of God. I know a lot of you are new. You weren't here for that. Um, and in it, I pointed this thing out, that, that the Scripture, all of the Bible, it begins and ends with the presence of God. Do you know that? It begins and ends with everything that we long for. It's right there in the very beginning. God is, when he's searching for, for Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, after they've jacked everything up, he's, he's walking in the cool of the, in the garden in the cool of the day. This is, what, this is normal. He just, God, just dwell with his people. In Genesis 1 and 2, we, this is on our reading plan this week. We just read about this, for those of you who are following along, right? God creates all things. He creates the universe. He says, this, this is my temple. This is my house. This is where I'm going to dwell. The universe is his cosmic temple, and the Garden of Eden is his holy of holies where he dwells with man. They just, they just hang out. It's, everything is beautiful. It's wonderful. There is no tears. There is no mourning. There is no loss. There is no sorrow. Just perfect presence with God. And of course, we have 
destroyed that, and we object it all up, and we live in this in-between space. But in the end, right, John is given this, this, this picture. He's taken in his mind this place where he sees the end of it all. New heavens, new earth, new Jerusalem, right? New Jerusalem, this new city. And John writes this, this describing what he sees in Revelation 21, 22 through 25. He says, I saw no temple in the city, right? For John, that's a big deal, right? You go to Jerusalem, there's one thing in first century Israel, at least, that marks this, 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 the city. One thing, everybody knows, there it is, the temple. But John says, man, I know this is like a new Jerusalem. I know this is a new city. And I know this is like the dwelling place of God's people. But there's no temple there. I saw no temple, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need for sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no more night there. John says there is no temple because the presence of God is God himself. He's, he's there. If you want to enter into the presence of God in the new heavens, new earth, you just enter into God. He's right there. You just, you just, you just, you're in the full presence. Like He's there with you. There's no dividing wall. There's nothing. He's just he's there. And in the presence of God, all the longings are fulfilled. There is no more mourning. There are no more tears. There is no racism in the presence of God. There's no injustice in the presence of God. There's no murder in the presence of God. There's no rioting in the presence of God. There's no politics in the presence of God. The kings of the earth are coming from all over the earth, and they're bringing their glory before him. And before God, in the presence of God, no one is saying, I deserve. Everybody knows who deserves everything in his presence. And the more we tap into that, the more we experience true freedom from all of the lesser longings of life. And we rest in knowing who is truly worthy of all glory and honor and praise. There is no virus there. There is no death there. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So what if, what if this year we made that our daily cry? We said, I'm going to commit today to pray that prayer every day. One thing I ask, Father, I, there's a million things on my mind, there's a million things on my heart, and yes, I want the, this thing for my friend, and I, yes, I want this healing for my family, and yes, I want these, but in the end, if you don't, if you don't deliver on any of those things, there's one thing. I want to be nearer to you today than I was yesterday. I want to behold you more today than I did yesterday. And I want to know you more today than I did yesterday. What if we committed to make that one prayer our prayer this year? For those of you who are... Um, Who, who, have, who call Flourishing Grace Church your home. You'd say, this is my home. This is, this is my church. This, this, is, this is absolutely where God is calling me in this season of my life. I, I want to talk to you just for a moment. For those of you who are new, you, just, you can listen in, but I'm not, I'm not talking directly to you for a moment. If you call Flourishing Grace Church your home, I, I, I want you to hear this. I think the second weakest area of our church, the second area where we need to grow the most in, 
is prayer. It's prayer. I do not believe that we are a church marked by prayer. If you ask people in the neighborhood, what's Flourishing Grace Church known for? Prayer would not be at the top of that list. That's not okay. One of the things that I want us to devote ourselves to in 2021 is becoming a people of prayer. Becoming a church of prayer. Some of you are stronger in this than than others. So we need you. We need you to lean in and to help us. Some of you are weaker in this than others. And you're going to need to step up. Make some commitments. What if we became a church that was truly marked by prayer? What's crazy in this, what, what do I stand to gain from any, this is, this is so true of like, I feel like every week, I gain nothing from this. I gain nothing from this. You finding the source of all true human flourishing and finding your rest and your joy and your delight in Christ gains me nothing. But oh, how I long for you to, to live there every day. And so I want to challenge you to five things. Five's a lot, but I think you can do it. Pick, pick a few of these. No, number one is simply that we would pray that prayer every day. Just you would commit right now. I, I don't know how you remind yourself. I don't know if you put it in your calendar or on your phone or write it on the back of your hand or put sticky notes all over your house. Whatever you got to do. You remind yourself every day, I'm going to pray that prayer. Jesus, I want to be nearer to you today than yesterday. I want to behold you more today than yesterday. I want to know you more today than yesterday. I want more of you. I want more of you today than yesterday. What might happen if God answered that prayer for us? My goodness, it would change everything for your life. And it would change everything here at Flourishing Grace if God answered that prayer for you. That's my first ask, that you would commit yourself to praying that prayer every day. Second, that you would renew your commitment to praying for one. This is something we've talked a lot about, a lot about here at Flourishing Grace. Uh, we've got a whole wall over here, praying for one. The names on this wall are people who live here. They live in Davis County or, or at least close by. They're your coworkers, they're neighbors, they're family members that live here. This is not your like Aunt Sue from Alabama. No, this is like people who live here that they don't know Jesus yet. And we've committed every day I pray for my one. Every day I pray, Jesus, would you bring them, would you rip them out of spiritual darkness and bring them into spiritual light? Would you reveal to them your glory and your grace that they might be saved? But then also, I've challenged you guys, if you're partners, you know this, to come just a few minutes early every Sunday. And just pick a name on that wall and just pray for one name every week. Come 10 minutes early and pick one name and just pray for it every single week. We're going to pray for one every day and every week. Next, I want to challenge you. Third one is this. Sign up to actually receive the prayer request. Every, like we, just, we filled up prayer requests this morning. We'll send them out tomorrow. Right? You can sign up on our website to receive those and actually pray for them. We can actually be a community that prays with each other. Submit a request and pray for the request every single week. Just commit. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray every week for the request of the church. I'm going to pray for those. Maybe you sit around the dinner table with your kids. And you model that for them. Hey, this is the life of our church. This is what's going on. And we're going to pray for a few of these tonight before we eat our dinner. What does that show your children? What does that show your family? What does that look like for you to begin to pray for the request of the church to join in and praying with each other? Fourth, join a prayer gathering at least one time a month. We have a prayer gathering here every Tuesday at noon. Every Tuesday at noon. Just 20 minutes, okay? And I know you get, you get a lunch break. 
You just pop on over, you pray, and you get back to work. Most of you are working from, working from home, and so you can just come on in whenever you want. You can come here every single week, right? Because you're working from home. Um, or you can just join us online. Uh, we stream it online on our website and on Facebook and YouTube. Um, but every week we just gather for 20 minutes and we just, we just pray. We just pray for what's going on in our nation. We pray for what's going on in our church. And then lastly, I want to challenge you to sign up for that workshop next Sunday, right after this gathering, on prayer. Austin Glenn is going to be teaching us. I'm really excited about it. As I said before, uh, free lunch, free childcare. Um, and we're just going to commit ourselves to becoming a people of prayer this year. Yeah, I, want, I want to grow in prayer. But most of all, I want to grow in beholding Jesus. And I know that as I grow in prayer, I will behold Jesus more every single day. And as I behold Jesus more every day, I'll actually experience the life that he has on offer. And the people around you might too. Let me pray for you. Jesus, there are so many needs in our world right now. So many longings of our church. We, we want to see growth and we want to see vibrancy. We, we want to see people come to know you. We want to see uh, North Davis County church planted and growing and flourishing. We want to see, we want to see might. We want to see power poured out. We want to see, we want to see darkness pushed back. We want to see you receive glory and fame and honor in Davis County, Utah. We want to one thing I ask and I seek that today you would draw us nearer than yesterday. That we'd see you more clearly. We'd behold you more than yesterday. That we would know you more than we did yesterday. We love you. Would you honor our faithfulness? Praise things in your sweet name. Amen.